Good morning, guys. Happy February. It's February 1st, 2019. And it's Black History Month. I want to bring that up because uh, next week on the show, we're going to have a visit from the Black AIDS Institute. Uh, longtime uh, HIV champion uh, Phil Wilson, who I met way back in the ACT UP days of the 1980s, recently retired. And there's a new executive director at the Black AIDS Institute. And we're going to have her on the show to come talk to us. Uh, and, of course, we'll have other prominent members of the African-American community in through the month of February to come talk here on Sidebar with John Duran. But let me tell you a little bit about our lineup for today. So uh, we're starting out with Tony Valenzuela. Tony Valenzuela is the executive director of the AIDS monument that is being constructed in West Hollywood Park. You know, San Francisco has a beautiful uh, memorial monument. New York City has one. And uh, we know about the Wall of Las Memorias in East L.A. that Richard Zaldivar is uh, championing. Uh, but uh, the city of West Hollywood has been in process now for about four years to... Uh, get its monument constructed and it looks like it's nearing completion and design and community input and so we're going to get an update from tony i've known tony a very long time he was very controversial in his youth he was all about being sex positive not shying away from full expression of human sexuality that's where he got his start i think he was like a male lady godiva when i first saw him on horseback on a magazine cover and uh, now he's the executive director of the aids monument and a pretty stand-up guy so look forward to hearing from tony and then uh, after that we're going to have some uh, representatives from swap sex worker outreach program uh, coming on the show uh, and uh, these are incredible women who advocate for the protection of sex workers from violence because, you know, a lot of them are really vulnerable. Uh, vulnerable not only from violent attacks by Johns, but also um, not being protected properly by law enforcement on the other side. And, uh, of course, you overlay that. Uh, with the, you know, the possibility of HIV and STIs and uh, sadly for some, you know, crystal meth or other drugs. And it just becomes, it's just a, a pot of uh, problems. And um, these women, along with the other advocates over at SWAP, uh, work full-time, more than full-time in advocating for the protection of these women and men and, of course, uh, stopping human trafficking at the same time. So, incredible women. Look forward to hearing from them in the second segment. And then finally, in the third segment of today's show, uh, Dylan Hosier from uh, USA Israel will come on. I first met Dylan many years ago when he was part of uh, APAC, American-Israeli Political Action Committee, and he ended up starting his own organization, which is uh, a little more center-left um, on uh, American-Israeli uh, politics and issues. And uh, so I thought it'd be interesting to bring him in. Uh, it was International uh, Holocaust Memorial Day just a few days ago. Uh, thank God, uh, you know, that uh, burning memory of what happened uh, we never forget, uh, and thank God it's not happening today, although I tell you, the conditions sometimes seem ripe for another possibility like that, but not if I can help it, and you can help it, and we can help it, and we never forget what happened when uh, far right-wing hate groups actually amassed enough power to uh, not only oppress people, but commit murder, uh, six million Jews and LGBT people. And uh, what they considered gypsies and undesirables, ranging from socialist to communist to the disabled, <clears throat> we never forget what happened there. But we're going to focus today on all the good that's possibly happening and the continuing efforts to try to find some peace in the Middle East between Palestinians and Israel and uh, all the complicated politics of uh, the Middle East. So that's our lineup for the day. Um, later on this month, of course, as we get closer to Valentine's Day, that most dreaded day, whether you be single or coupled, other than those of you who are newly in love, who probably love Valentine's Day, I have a love-hate relationship with Valentine's Day, but uh, you know, we'll be uh, having some programming around that particular holiday. People in love, people who are bitter, people who are both in love and bitter, <laughs> anything's possible. Uh, so looking forward to an incredible February with all of you. Uh, I'm watching uh, here the uh, the uh, CNN live broadcast go on, and of course the Donald, who I believe at this point is either in early dementia or just mentally ill, um, is uh, been tweeting, you know, twenty to forty tweets a day, insane uh, ideas, attacking all of the heads of all the intelligence 
uh, of the United States, telling them they all needed to be schooled, and at the same time, you know, misspelling the word even there <laughs> in his tweets. I think, Donald, you're the one that needs to be schooled. You're the one that doesn't read position papers. You're the one that has absolutely no complex thoughts. And let's face it, you only express yourself in monosyllabic words. Try using words with three or more syllables. Occasionally, people will think you're smarter, Donald. Try it. So anyway, that's our lineup for the day here on Sidebar. It should be a great show. I'm glad you're listening in. And I want to thank you for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. One blaze of glory. Yes, from the musical Rent, a fantastic musical about a very awful situation, HIV and AIDS, but obviously the music was so impactful to so many of us. And uh, talking about impactful, we have Tony Valenzuela, the executive director of the uh, Foundation for AIDS Monument in studio with us. Welcome, Tony. Thank you, Mr. John Duran, Mayor. (laughs) (laughs) Mayor, radio DJ, whatever whatever we're doing today. I want to thank you for coming on. I was telling the listeners before you got in the studio that first time I became acquainted with you, you were on the cover of Paz Magazine, mm-hmm. like a modern-day male Lady Godiva, <laughs> like a shirt. I think you were naked on a horse, actually, if I think back. That's correct. You were naked <laughs> on a horse. I love that. And you were all about being you know, open and, and sexual, and it was okay to still maintain sexuality in the middle of an epidemic. Yeah, I mean, the, the, what the magazine you're referring to, actually, it's, it was 20, 20 years ago this month. It was wow. February 1999. Wow. And um, and it was about um, being positive and having agency around one's sexual desire and sexual practice. Um, and um, at the time, it was very difficult and controversial to talk about that as uh, a pause person. Right. Um, and but I felt it was really important because of you know the stigma that um, uh, we experience as pause people, and also because. It was what people were doing in their private lives, and there needed to be some room open to be able to discuss um, the way we were um, navigating our sexual lives as positive people um, in gay community and um, and be able to be responsible and healthy around um, sexual practices that, you know, at the time at least, there wasn't a lot in aid service organizations that was allowing for that kind of conversation. Right. Well, there's no PrEP. I mean, young people today, they think it's about PrEP, take a pill, you're protected, you don't get HIV. Yeah, there was no PrEP. No, back then it was the 90s, and especially the early 90s, we were in the middle of a terrible period of death and dying, yeah. and it was hard to think about being sexual in the midst of plague. Yeah. But uh, yeah. we did. Yeah. We did. Well, I mean, that's, um, that is one of the, the amazing um, ways that... That the gay community has been a leader in that um, we insisted that our the, on the humanity of our desire mm. um, that um, if we were in the middle of the epidemic, then we were going to learn how to do um, uh, sex safely, and right. you know, and it was gay men who invented safer sex, and um, it was at the height of the epidemic that um, that saved hundreds of thousands of lives um and so um that was essential because you know you can't give up sex i mean that just doesn't work in the real world no matter what is going on no i think that's very true and i'm so glad you are now the executive director of the aids monument because Mm. it's this these sort of stories Mm. that need to be remembered and retold yeah because they're heroic stories yeah 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 um yeah, I started at the Foundation for the AIDS Monument in October, and it is an incredible privilege to do this work. Um, for those of you who don't know, the um, the monument is going to be this 
beautiful public art uh, um, installation monument in the city of West Hollywood, in West Hollywood Park. It's going to be in a beautiful location right along San Vicente Boulevard at the foot of the steps of the library there. And um, we're a couple years, less than a couple years away from dedication. Um, uh, the, the groundbreaking for it will be hopefully early next year. Um, and the, you know, so many of us brings have many different histories with the epidemic. Some of us have no history because of if they're young um, and don't remember that time, weren't even born in that time. And the work of the monument is going to be um, sort of there's three pillars to what we're doing. One is to remember those of us, those of us who, um, who were, those who were lost. I mean, we all have friends and lovers and family members um, and brothers and sisters who um, died during that the height of the epidemic. I mean, where we lost, you know, more than half a million people more than died in two world wars in mm. America. Mm. And, um, and that happened in a short amount of time and it devastated our communities. And so we have a lot of people to remember. Um, and that is the memorializing part of, of this work. But we call it a monument because it's not just a memorial. It's not just about the past. It's also about celebrating the activists and the caregivers who got us through those really dark years. People like you, um, John Duran, who um, were the organizers and um, the the folks who were insisting that um, you know condoms were, um, were available in in bars and in on street corners. Um, and so the celebration of activists is key and central to this monument. Um, and then the third piece of it is education. I mean, we um, the AIDS epidemic's not over. Um, this isn't only about the past, it's about what's ongoing. Um, and also, it's there's so much to educate about what happened and how the AIDS activists changed the way that activism is done, changed the way that that uh, uh, medications go through the you know pharmaceutical pipeline. Um, all that is because of AIDS activists, and there's a lot of education about um, how they did it, right. and um, also the cultural impact. I mean, there was a huge cultural impact on uh, from the AIDS epidemic, and we want to be an organization that's um, telling those stories. I mean, the monument is actually called Stories, the AIDS Monument. That's that's beautiful. Yeah. <clears throat> this is the time I drag in my poor little millennial producer because Jason over there, Jason, what year were you born? I was born in uh, 1992. 92, there you go. <laughs> Let me ask you, because I always ask young people this. Did you know that in the mid-80s, there was an initiative on the California ballot to quarantine HIV-positive people in concentration camps in California? Wow, I did not know that. And most don't. There was LaRouche Initiative, Proposition 64, 69, and 102. Each would have quarantined HIV-positive people. Uh, in, and they were going to use the same camps they used on Japanese-Americans during World War II. Well, luckily, the mentality today has changed. So. Yeah, <laughs> but it was it was scary as hell back then because yeah. the polls showed initially it was they were going to pass My because gosh. people were in fear and like when people are in fear they round others up they round up Jews they round up Muslims they round up right. HIV positive people out of fear to isolate and segregate as a. a policy yeah yeah and we had to fight that so that's really i thank you for letting me drag you into the conversation of course anytime <laughs> yeah i mean um you know that was one of among so many battles that our communities fought and won um and um that was a tough sell uh, at that time because there was so much ignorance about who we were as queer people um, in the 80s as the epidemic took root. Um, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of, um, you know, bigotry about who we were. Um, there were a lot fewer people out of the closet and just part of their work That's and their true. families. And there was a, a ton of education that had happened during that time, um, you know, winning over hearts and minds right. kind of work. <clears throat> And the community did it. I mean, that is, it persevered, and it's it's a it's an incredible story that this country needs to know. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I tell people is, in California, it was illegal to be homosexual up until 1975. Right. 75 in California, the great liberal state of California, up until 75, it was illegal to be a homosexual. I came out in 78, so I'm like, oh, we're legal. <laughs> Let's go. And I'm all of you know 18 years old, and here we go. And three years later, boom slam into the middle of an epidemic. And it's yeah. like, whoa, 
now what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was uh, the worst of all possible worlds. I tell yeah. people today there would be no wedding cakes had we not gone through the trauma of the epidemic because mm. it humanized us. Mm. You know, it forced America to face us as human beings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, one point I would also make is that there's there are still um, there's still a lot of work to do like there's hiv criminalization laws all over the country that um started to take root in the 90s and um they were you know penalizing hiv positive people um for their sexual practice even if they were out and open about their status and there's dozens of them still on the books california is one of the few states in the country that finally decriminalized decriminalized down to a uh, misdemeanor but there's there are there are hiv positive people sitting in jail right now um because of those laws um and it's a it's a it's a travesty i mean that, that's still work to do all right we're, we're talking with tony valenzuela the executive director of the uh, foundation for aids monument uh we'll be back after the commercial break here on sidebar with john duran I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Don't go chasing waterfalls. One of the first pop culture songs to include a verse about HIV and right. AIDS. Yeah, yeah I was about just thinking the, that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. I, I, of course, I am. I, I am old enough to remember the name of the band, but I am not. My memory is not what it used to be. I don't remember who sang that. TLC. There you go. <laughs> TLC. I was thinking in vogue, but I knew yeah. that wasn't right. Yeah. TLC. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> We're talking with Tony Valenzuela, the executive director of the Foundation for AIDS Monument, to be constructed in West Hollywood. Now it's going to be in West Hollywood Park, right by the Sheriff's Station, roughly. Right. Yeah, I mean it's um it's actually right uh, at the there's the library and then there's that the that staircase library that's the bottom of the staircase it's right there it's where the rec center is right now got it that got would it. be demolished there but beautiful location right on San Vicente yeah and it was important and now I'll put my little mayor's hat on for a second we wanted it on San Vicente because yeah. the corner of Santa Monica Boulevard and San Vicente was historic yeah. that whenever our community needed to gather we we knew instinctively to go right in front of the rage the rage <laughs> set it all the, the bar of the rage yeah. that's where we would gather and shut down the street for whatever demonstration needed to happen yeah. much like I'm sure the Castro in San Francisco or the village in New York. Yeah. Now you've gone through an incredible process. The artist is Australian. Yeah, Dan uh, Tobin. Dan with, Tobin, yeah, and he's he, HIV positive. That's right. right that's yeah. right. Um, and so, which is great because then an HIV positive artist can bring his own. Um, you know, it, it informs his vision as well. Um, at least a part of of, um, of the monument design. But um, yeah, the the design has been worked on by him, and it's you know going through all these different processes with um, sort of internally and with the city, um, and uh, we're getting close to the end of the design phase of it, and um, we'll, I mean, really the next year is is about approving that design, um, and then really starting on the. Um, uh, groundbreaking and installation right. i mean we're, we're and, getting close and there's a five million dollar price tag on this is that the yeah it's it's more or less and yeah. we've raised about 85 percent of that wow. we're in, congratulations in, thanks i mean it is and you know i i have to give credit to um the incredible board of directors that i right. have that have been doing this work for um since 2013 or 2014 mm-hmm. um and also john guile who is incredible uh, fundraiser yeah, exactly. i'm having him as a guest in the month of february oh, good. incredible guy i'm glad yeah um but they um have done an really outstanding job and i was at the lunch where the idea got started in 2013 14 i don't remember when it was now but we were at cafe de toile on santa monica boulevard and a group of us all hiv positive said you know the fires sort of receded somewhat there's no longer all this death and dying and we can all exhale maybe now it's time to start thinking about what happened (laughs) you know because we all got ptsd about it yeah, yeah, that's right. And and that sort of reflection, um, um, looking back at those uh, really dark years is is happening across the country. And, um, you know, there's a monument that or a memorial that opened up in New York City in 2018. San Francisco's has been around actually since the 90s. There's the Wallace Memorias Project here in L.A. Right. That was um, 
oh gosh, what? How many years ago? It's 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 long been time a ago. Richard yeah, Zaldivar, yeah, Richard Zaldivar. Um, so there's, I think this is a an area that's a, an emerging um, kind of um, organizing is is how we're um, thinking about that history and how we're going to educate about um, that history so that we've learned the lessons that we that have been valuable and that that kind of calamity doesn't happen again. Yeah, uh, we'll exactly. Be, yeah. Well, I mean, so many of our brothers and sisters paid the price in blood. Yeah. Blood, sweat, and tears. And certainly that, it went to forging a community that would become the modern-day LGBT community. Because I tell people this, back in the 70s, early 80s, the lesbians were over here. The gay men were over there. The bi's, neither side wanted to deal with the bi's, and the trans weren't even on the radar yet. We were sort of these separate communities of interest. I mean, we had... As gay men, we had almost no use for lesbians. That doesn't mean all gay men didn't have lesbian friends, but it was not what HIV would compel us to become, which was a community. And so many lesbians took positions of leadership, even though HIV didn't affect them much at all, other than the loss of their brothers. Yeah, I mean, they took care of us. They did. They were our caretakers. My closest friends today are the lesbians who I walked that path with Mm. Yeah, Yeah, back in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, it made, you know, uh, we, we never want to go through anything as horrible as that, but it did make us stronger. And, you it know, did. if you're smart activists and organizers like the queer community is, then you you um, you use that experience to, to make to, to to gain political power, right. to organize, to to make sure this kind of thing we're better prepared for in the future. Right. And we and we did. And I remember the center, the Gay and Lesbian Center back then it was just the center was a one room. Yeah, on a building on Highland, it had two phones, maybe three, if I'm mistaken. It was mostly about STDs, you know, STIs, you know, sexually transmitted disease back then. And that was the center and some brochures and pamphlets. Fast forward from that time to today, the largest LGBT center in the world yep. in Los Angeles with tens of millions of dollars budget. But it was all built through the strain and the, the foment and the struggle around an epidemic. It, yeah. it forced us all to become activists. Yeah, well, I mean, the, if there was any lesson, it's that we have to take care of ourselves because no one else is going to do it for us. Right. That isn't to say that we didn't have strong allies and people who made an incredible difference um, who were not LGBT people. That's but true. ultimately, we t- take care of ourselves, we, and we will continue. And to. we did. Yeah. This uh, project is an extensive community outreach, because AIDS means many different things to many different yep. people, and that's always the hardest part about putting your hands around H- yeah. the HIV epidemic. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, that's actually, for me, one of the most interesting parts of the job is navigating the way, th- what HIV and the AIDS epidemic means to so many different groups of people across generations, across races across gender um and i think that is one of my primary commitments is i want people to go to that monument in west hollywood park and and feel like it belongs to them too Mm. um and i want to make sure that you know once there's the dedication and we're thinking about how we're going to be engaging community with that monument monument for education um i want to make sure that we're um engaging with and organizing with so many different communities about um, what the epidemic meant to, men, meant to them and what it means to them presently. Like, I'm thinking about um, uh, Jesse Smollett right now, who, you know, was gay bashed in Chicago. He's one of the stars of Empire. Um, and he just went through that horrible experience a couple of days ago. He's also um, one of the board members and a big activist around uh, the Black AIDS Institute with Phil with Phil Wilson, um, and he is someone who is working across so many di- different communities and is doing such essential work around um, HIV, where the epidemic is today, or, you know, among Black gay men. And I just feel like there's so many pieces to this, and mm-hmm. I want to make sure that w- the work we're doing is supporting and promoting all the ways that the epidemic impacts us, even today. That's awesome. And, and I think for those uh, activists who are 50 and above, or 60s and now in their 70s, I think a lot of us, me included, have some form of PTSD yeah. because of just the amount of love. I'm, I lost 104 friends, yeah. completely reshaped my life. There's still times I wake up crying, thinking about people and what happened, right? Yeah. Horrible images seared forever in the brain, and I'm hoping this is part of that that healing. We've got less than a minute. If people want to learn more about the project, do you have a website? Or? Yeah, it, aidsmonument.org. Um, and there's a, a lot of information on there, ways to get involved. There's also some beautiful videos we produced interviewing folks like yourself included, real in key people in the history of the epidemic here in LA. Um, and there's just going to be a lot more to come uh, as we evolve this 
you know, relatively new organization into, I think, an important cultural organization in this city and in this country. Well, I know we've got a ribbon cutting temporarily slated for December 2020, but I hope That's you'll come back. Hoping, yeah. I hope you'll come back at least once or twice between now and then and give us another update. That Anytime. Nice. A- anything from Mayor Duran. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> That's Tony Valenzuela, everybody, the executive director of the Foundation for AIDS Monument. And coming up next, we'll be hearing from uh, members of SWAP, Sex Worker Outreach Program. I hope you stay tuned here on Sidebar with John Duran. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. Incredible Rod Stewart opening this segment. We are going to talk this morning, kids, with SWAP, Sex Worker Outreach Program. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Elena and Bella. Uh, Bella's almost here. She's stuck on Wilshire <laughs> Boulevard somewhere, right, Elena? I mean, she's coming from Porn Valley, so it's kind of far. So. <laughs> okay. Well, that's always a struggle to get yeah. from the valley to the simple city. So whenever Bella walks in, we'll mic her up and we'll get her started. But we'll start with you. So welcome, okay. Elena. Thank you for having me. Uh, so we're broadcasting in about a dozen cities around the country right now. And let's just talk. What is SWAP? What? So, Sex Workers Outreach Project is a nonprofit organization that deals with the destigmatization and hopefully eventually decriminalization of sex work, well, full service sex work, and other forms of sex work in the U.S. We have several allies internationally, and I'm currently with the LA chapter, but there are chapters in most large cities around the country. Oh, great. Now, I, I don't think a lot of people realize that. The level of violence and hatred that you know sex workers have to face is extreme mm-hmm. in many ways. I mean, is that the reason the project got started, or what was the what was the reason to be? Yeah, yeah. So one of the the big the big reasons for the project is violence. Um, there have been a number of cases in the twentieth century. And continuing in this century where people target sex workers in acts of violence specifically because they are sex workers, mm. because they're vulnerable populations, because no one will notice that they're missing. People, serial killers have even used that. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That that they they target us because we are vulnerable and people don't care. And oftentimes we're blamed for our own harm. Mm. So... So that's a big reason that Sex Workers Outreach Project began. And the other side is law enforcement hasn't always or customarily been as sensitive to these issues. And you end up getting not only abused and misused by the Johns, but by police as well. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if anything, I think for a lot of sex workers, the police are a bigger concern than the Johns or equally a concern. That's interesting. Why? Why are they a bigger concern? Because very similarly to what we saw with the war on drugs and things we see in more uh, marginalized communities, a misdemeanor arrest for something like prostitution, a first-time offense, might not have the worst penalty. But then once you're incarcerated or once you're on probation one time, we see that the likelihood that you'll be back in the criminal justice system again and again and again goes up every time you get arrested, every time you get some sort of punishment. And... Not only that, but having an arrest for prostitution on somebody's record or having any sort of big fines, anything like that, gets you in trouble in the future. It makes it hard for you to be employed down the line. Mm-hmm. So, Really good point. I remember in the 80s, in the mid-80s, there was this big push from the right wing. to They wanted to test everybody for HIV, right? <laughs> and of course, but offer no protection from discrimination. They just wanted to yeah. test everybody. And I remember one of the most awful things that happened in the legislature is the, uh, back then, test everybody. That wasn't going to fly. But the Democrats, who were supposed to be our friends, mm-hmm. ended up giving away the sex workers first. Said you can test the prostitutes then. Test the prostitutes. And that has been on the books now for 30 years. In fact, if someone is convicted of misdemeanor prostitution, they can be forced to be tested for HIV. And then, if arrested again, they can elevate it to a felony 
based on the initial arrest. Exactly, and that's that's the biggest problem: is why, why are people receiving felonies for I, something I, that's consensual and right, voluntary, right. and and may or may not even. I mean, and this is the crazy part to me in this day and era, right? So we've got prep, we've got these medications. Mm-hmm. People can bring their viral load down to zero, meaning they can't transmit the virus, even if they're HIV positive. And who's to say what happened in that intimate moment? Whether a condom was used, whether the sort of sexual sexual activity that occurred would even be possible to transmit HIV. Mm-hmm. So just having the status of being HIV positive shouldn't be a reason to punish somebody. Yeah, and simply the fact that sex workers are some of the safest people around. Not only do we have lower incidence of of disease, of STIs, than the average population, but we also get tested regularly. And also with organizations like SWAP, we offer free HIV testing at all of our events. We have several allies that offer it. We offer prep training, HIV awareness training, HIV desensitization training through SWAP. So we are really constantly vigilant about HIV within our communities and in our peripheral communities as well, and yet people are still coming down on sex workers as if we're the ones that are the problem. It's right, really right. those who don't know who are the problem. Now, to legalize prostitution would mean California, Sacramento would have to do it. I think, yeah. that's, a, I think that's a long <laughs> shot. Clark, yeah. Clark County, Nevada, however, has. Yeah. has. Is there mm-hmm. any evidence or data coming out of Clark County, Nevada that you're aware of that has shown that the legalization of prostitution there has actually been a, a positive thing? Do you Are you aware of anything? Um, as far as actual hard evidence, no. I can only go by word of mouth by Dr documentary by what people within our community are saying. Um, there's actually, there's a woman, Alice Little. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's she's a big activist. She's worked in the brothels in Nevada. And uh, if anyone looks up her documentary work, her written work, she speaks to this highly. But what I have seen from just um, anecdotal evidence is it's a lot safer and more comfortable for a lot of people it does the the brothel work does put the power into the hands of oftentimes men Mm, and it is kind of a weird power dynamic so that's what people are critical of but as far as disease i mean the people get tested once a week which i think is excessive because i i i think it's a little invasive to force testing but it's still once a week. Yeah, that's a lot <laughs> of testing. I mean, the antibiotics haven't even kicked in from the last one. I mean, right? I, you know, yeah. that, that's just kind of crazy. Wow. Yeah, and, and I suppose it's it's better there than it is here. So I'm not going to be too critical of the system. That's but, that's true. But but yeah, we've we've seen that obviously if they haven't been shut down yet, there can't be a lot of incidences of that particular those brothels causing problems. Right. So. Right. Good point. Good good point. <laughs> well, we got to cut to commercial break, but I, uh, we'll see if uh, if uh, Bella has showed up okay. yet or not. Hopefully she beat that Wilshire Bull by traffic. I want to thank you all for tuning in here on Sidebar with John Duran on Channel Q. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. And we are talking about sex here on Sidebar with John Duran. We're talking with the Sex Worker Outreach Program. And uh, Bella and, uh, and Elena are here in studio with me. Bella, you made it. I did make it. <laughs> yes, make Los it. Angeles traffic is quite a barrier. I, know. I heard you were coming from the valley. So <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, deep, deep in the Porn Valley, like <laughs> Northridge. Well, I'm so glad you made it. Me Welcome. too. <laughs> Welcome. We were talking during the break about various things that you wanted to make sure we covered today. So what, what do you want us to chat about? Um, absolutely. Um, so you guys covered a bit about what SWAP was doing. Is that correct? Yeah, um, yeah. You guys talked about, um, can you just catch me up a little bit? Yeah, um, we talked about why SWAP was created, the reason to be, to yeah. protect sex workers from violence and discrimination, protect not only from Johns, but from police on occasion yeah. as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that we really work on as a local chapter is really trying to combat stigma and making sex work a safe environment for consensual sex workers. Well, it's the oldest profession in history, right? It is. It, um, I actually took a sociology of deviant 
deviant behavior course where they refuted that and they said that priesthood was. But I'm like, is that a profession? <laughs> I'm not, not sure. Not sure. <laughs> That's a good point. Oh my God, I love that yeah. priesthood. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely not that. But um, yeah, so we have we have so much going on right now. And the first thing that I really want to plug is go to swapla.org. That's very important to find out all of our happenings. But we just launched a Patreon, and the Patreon is patreon.com slash swap LA. Mm-hmm. And um, what what we're trying to do is get equity on our board. And one of the things that we find, especially when it comes to activism, is that there are so many uh, upper class cisgendered white women that have the time to do this activism. Mm. And um, I have 40 hours a week to commit to the board to do all of these things because I look the way I do and I have the privilege that I have. So one of our first goals for the Patreon is once we hit $500, we're going to have a stipend for a trans queer POC to join the board Mm. so that we can have someone doing this activism without exploiting their labor. Mm. So we are trying to raise funds for that. That's that's a very important thing. We also do a monthly condom stroll in South Central. Um, We have a monthly meeting that's a peer-to-peer support group. And to make our meetings more accessible to everyone, we just started offering childcare, lift codes, um, dinner, and a translator at our monthly meeting so that we can get all of the voices heard for people that normally couldn't make it or wouldn't be able to. This is awesome stuff. Yeah. This is awesome stuff. Yeah. Um, And, And what's the purpose? The purpose then, I guess, overall is to give some dignity. Yeah, just those in sex work. Yeah, yeah, it's just um, sex work is work, and a lot of people really conflate the idea of sex work with trafficking. That is a huge problem that we see over and over and over again. And if they see a sex worker, they don't necessarily want to help uplift what it is they're doing. They want to rescue them. And one of our big chants that we say often is "rights, not rescue." Mm -hmm. Like I should be able to go to work, and if I'm assaulted, feel comfortable calling the police. Right. I should be able to go to work without being afraid of the police right like that is a basic human right and it's like they have all of these cute memes about it but like i could hand you money and you could take it right now absolutely legal we could fuck right now definitely legal but when you it would be a miracle if you and i did but i know i'm I'm a gold star lesbian i don't know what your status is but uh um but you know, it's when you add sex and money and you get women empowering themselves with their body, it's it's people just get up in arms, you know? And mm-hmm. this isn't a moral thing. This is an ethics thing. Like, we deserve mm-hmm. to be able to work safely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. What do you want to talk about? Yeah. You look like you want to say I, something, Elaine. Well, I, what I wanted to bring up is is you bring up a good point, Bella, the rights not rescue mm-hmm. idea. And, and that's what we're up against more than anything is just... W- if you're rescuing us as law enforcement, why are you punishing us? Why are you putting us in jail? If, if that's your goal is to rescue us, why are you making it harder for us to work by giving us convictions of prostitution on our yeah. record, which make it hard for us to find new employment? Right. And then what we can see is um, I had a friend who was an insider yesterday at a meeting for the Human Trafficking Task Force, mm. uh, and, and they were bringing up all of the numbers between October 1st and January 28th of all the people they arrested. And what we see is that they've arrested, they've issued 388 citations, 236 arrests for things related to prostitution. But of those people, the they have, quote unquote, rescued nine people. And we don't know what rescued means. That It just says right. rescued. And as far as actual trafficking suspects, they've only found three trafficking suspects. So not even traffickers, trafficking suspects right. of what is this. So that's uh, less than 1% yeah, of yeah. The, the resources that we've used. Yeah, it's, it doesn't sound like they do much of any rescue or right. anything positive then, you, uh, you other can, than criminalizing <laughs> and penalizing. Exactly. They're, they're trying to get, yeah. ultimately what everyone is saying is that they're trying to get money because marijuana can no longer be criminalized. We can't make money off of marijuana in California and a lot of other states. So the war on drugs is winding down a little bit, so people are targeting other things like this. Do you come across uh, sex workers who do survival sex that, I mean, it's this or I don't eat? So I, there's, um, I I will send you this at another point, but I look at sex work as a continuum, right? Like you have um, people who are doing non-consensual sex work, which is trafficking. And then you have people that are doing survival sex work where it's like, this is my only option. This is what I'm doing to eat. This is what I'm doing to live. And I look at some people in relationships as doing survival sex work, especially (laughs) no domestic, domestic violence victims stay in relationships and have sex and live in the situation because they have no other means. And then you have sex work like myself that like 
have other options. You know, there's somebody on our board that just finished law school and chooses to do sex work because it's something that they love and it's something they enjoy. But it goes back and forth. You know, there are times where it's like, I don't want to do this, but I need to do it to pay my bills. And then there are times where it's like, fuck, I love my job. This job is incredible. And, um, you know, it, it goes back and forth. So it's not just like one thing or another. Um, I love that you dropped the F-bomb twice now. You know, every time you do that, we got to bleep you out. Oh, I did not know that. Oh, censorship. Goodness. There's 13 words we can't use. I'm not going to describe them okay, for you. But. You, you should have. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll try and be more it's, it's verbally okay. chaste from no, here on no, out. It's okay. <laughs> Jason's got it. He's okay. got the button. He bleeps you out. Cool, one cool. Censorship is something You're we're good. quite used to. So. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Jason's um. on it. Let me ask, I'm, the, the notion of sex work, does that expand into, let's look at West Hollywood, the Go-Go Boys and the Go-Go Girls? Is that, or is that not? That's I, more performance? No, I I feel like there, there's, we we have the red umbrella for a reason, right? Like it encompasses. I don't know, what is the red umbrella? It, it's the universal symbol of sex work solidarity. I did not know that. Why is it the universal symbol? Um, it was, I believe it was the French that started that right, Elena? Mm-hmm. Um, in the 1970s, during one of their protests, um, I, I'll have to look up the exact meaning of why it's red. Um, but um, yeah, sex work encompasses everything from cam girls to strippers to full service sex workers to survival sex, wor- sex workers to street based sex workers mm. um, to porn stars to I mean, and I guess Go Go Boys could be in there too. You know, this is really good stuff. We you're, you're right. We were talking during the break about maybe starting a committee or commission or some task yes. force or something to focus mm-hmm. on this. This yeah. would be really good for West Hollywood because we are a sex based city. Well, yes, and unfortunately, it's not just the the full service sex workers that are being targeted right now it's no. there's the thought audit i don't know if you're familiar with that so thought is short for that hoe over there it's a slur used against sex workers somebody started this back around thanksgiving where they were reporting sex workers to the irs and like reporting cam to, girls yeah, like cam girls snapchat models instagram models to the irs to paypal don't having their accounts shut lives. down don't they have lives they should be concerned Clearly about not. <laughs> we are out of time but i want to thank you both bella and elena for coming on i hope you'll come back another time and keep us updated because i know there's lots going on in legislation and people need to know about to yeah. fight it and, mm-hmm. and to help protect sex workers thank you for joining us you'll be back after the commercial break you're listening to all of us here at sidebar with john duran on channel q Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. (laughs) <laughs> Never let it be said we don't have a diverse set of topics here at Sidebar with Andrea because we have gone from the AIDS epidemic to sex workers to Israel all in one two-hour segment. Got it. Dylan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Tell our listeners who you are and, where, and what sure. organization you're with. Sure. So my name is Dylan Hosier. I um, am the Chief Advocacy Officer at the Israeli-American Civic Action Network, uh, ICANN. It's, it's kind of our oh, version of, of Si Se Puede from, from uh, uh, learning from our Latino brothers and sisters. And... Um, um, uh, we advocate on behalf of the Israeli-American immigrant community here in the United States. And um, just to kind of give a quick quick background of, of how, how we got to this work, um, I used to work for the Israeli government uh, for about a decade. A, f- a few years ago, I, I had um, uh, stopped working there, and I saw a gap where um, the American Jewish community, I think, is seen as a very um, well-established um, kind of pillar of American society. And um, there's there's a there's a major gap when it comes to Israel and actually a lot of Jews who are immigrants from from uh, either the Soviet Union, uh, Russian Jews, um, which we have a lot of in, in West Hollywood, um, or um, Israelis who are immigrating here from Israel, or even um, uh, the Persian Jewish community, um, or Jews from Iraq or Morocco or, or other places in the Middle East. Um, there's no organization out there that advocates for them, mm-hmm. and so they come here to America and they don't understand the political system. They don't understand. Um, how things are um, working here from a civic perspective. Um, in business, they do great. In other aspects of life, socioeconomically, they do fantastic. But when it comes to civics, there's a massive gap. And so we're here to fill that gap. That is really cool. I know for our 
known Russian-speaking Jewry was primarily from the Ukraine. Correct. Yeah. That when they got here in the 70s and 80s, there was an immediate distrust of government. Right. The government is the the thing that like locked you up and put you in jail. Absolutely. And right. so we had to do a lot of really hard work to establish a Russian advisory board in West Hollywood, and, yep. and then to realize that they weren't Russian; they were Ukrainian, Correct. and then exactly. that is more properly Russian-speaking rather than Russian because Russia and Ukraine had all sorts of complex politics, and so we had to learn a yep. lot about the dynamics. Yeah, and so and so one of the things that we see with the Israeli American community is that there is a, a kind of convergence of um, of prejudice when it comes to this community because a they're they're Jewish, so they face a lot of anti-Semitism. Um, I, I look at some of the things in society now uh, with with the boycott movement, for example, the boycott Israel movement. Um, I see that as kind of a structural anti-Semitism that's built into some of the global um, historical anti-Semitic movements. Um, they're often people of color. So if they're from Iraq or from Morocco or some of the more Sephardic areas, or if they're Mizrahi Jews, uh, they're, they're people of color. Um, they're immigrants, so they face some, some sort of immigrant bias, whether it's um, not speaking English perfectly or speaking with an accent or um, not assimilating perfectly in society. So they have a, a kind of a confluence of prejudice that they're dealing with. And um, there's no organization out there except for us now who's advocating on their behalf. So that's that's kind of what that's the work that we're it's doing. It's really cool. You know, now that we bring this up, the, uh, today's show, one thing we all have in common is a, a a distrust of police. Yes, the LGBT right. community yep. historically had a great distrust of the police because we were getting arrested for being gay. The sex workers who preceded you, yep. great distrust. Uh -huh. Is that true about the population you're describing? Uh, no, uh, but there is, I think, a, a misunderstanding of how government works. Mm -hmm. um, so there, there's not a, a distrust of police, but there's kind of a distrust of, of government in general to a certain extent. Of There's a skepticism, there's a cynicism. Um, in Israel, the way it works, it's, it's a parliamentary system, so you're voting for the party. There's no there's no direct connection, you know, like, so my congressman is Adam Schiff, so I know that if, if uh, Congressman Schiff isn't doing what I like, I can vote against him, um, or I can go to his office or, or go to his district office, whatever, and talk to somebody. That doesn't exist in, in Israel. So in America, you know, we our, our civic... Um, you know, our system is based on feedback. It's required to have feedback, right? It's a re it's a responsive representative government. In Israel, that representation and that feedback doesn't exist. Mm. So I, I have to teach um, the Israelis that I work with uh, that you have to speak up, that your voice matters. And one of the things that they're very skeptical of is the fact that, well, we're so small a number. Maybe there's a million Israeli immigrants in, in America. And I say, look, inequality in one of us is inequality for all of us. Uh, we're, we're designed, this country is designed to be a more perfect union, and we're, we're striving for that every day. And so even if the boycott movement is targeting a small segment of society, the Boycott Israel movement, for example, um, that's inequality for all of us. That impacts all of us. That's a mode of discrimination that today may be focused on Israelis, tomorrow could be focused on Latinos, right? Um, if we're looking at immigration policy, that, that often happens where um, um, you know the, the various Latino communities, Mexican Americans, are, are being uh, uh, unfairly targeted, and so. Um, uh, that, that's kind of a, a big lesson that we're trying to teach that community. So, you know, there, uh, the LA Times ran a story today about hate crimes being up yeah. uh, in, the, uh, in LA County and, of course, all across the country. And I'm just thinking here. So, my producer Jason over there is Muslim. You know, mm -hmm. you are Jew, are Jewish, identified. Jewish, I, 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 I'm, Jewish, I, I'm Jewish adjacent. <laughs> I'm Latino, and yeah. all of these populations, the yeah. numbers are up in right. terms of hate crimes and violence. And I, I lay that squarely at the feet of Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Since the election of Donald Trump, all these numbers are going up. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that there's. Um, and, and by the way, the Israeli American community is very. They they like Donald Trump. Uh, most of them. Uh, Why? I don't know. Oh well, look, I, I think I think that there's a there's a vocal. I, I shouldn't say most. I should say that there's a, there's a, a wide range of perspectives when it comes to the the uh, Israeli American. I know community. APAC did. APAC liked Donald mm -hmm. Trump because I was very involved with APAC. I haven't been the past past couple of years primarily yeah. because of their embrace of yeah. Donald Trump. Well, I think what, and one of the things I'm most surprised of, actually, so, you know, I, I've worked in cities, um, Las Vegas, uh, Seattle, Boston, and um, we have a lot of Israelis. And actually, look, I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, this, this anecdote straight from West Hollywood. We did a Get Out the Vote video where um, I, I went to um, Israeli-Americans who were um, new, new citizens or who are about to become citizens to try to get their stories on video. And so many of them were afraid to be on tape. They said, I just, I've, I've got my green card. I'm 
scared with this current environment that we're that we're in. Um, I, I don't want to lose my status. I don't know, you know. So there, there's a lot of fear even in that community, and that's something that you don't. That's not being recognized, I think, when it comes to Israel and and how um, American policy towards Israel can affect the immigrant community here in in the United States. Um, that's from Israel. So there's a lot of fear there too, as well. That's amazing. Shared fear. Yeah. I hate to bring this up, make it about me, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> I had my DNA tested. I am 1% Ashkenazi Jew. Well, I tell you, I had my DNA tested. I'm 0%. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot Jewish. be more Jewish than you. You are more Jewish than me, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. So, that is amazing. Yeah. I have been to Israel once. I, I loved it. I loved yeah. it very much. And I yep. know Israel's on the cutting edge of a lot of technology sure. and other yep. things. You've been there many, yes. many times. Uh-huh. So somebody who's never been to Israel, what would you tell them? So, you know, and actually, I think that you, you and I were speaking during the break about when we first met. And I think one of the things um, I try to, when I'm working with your city staff, one of the things I'll show them is the, the gay pride parade in Tel Aviv versus the gay pride parade in West Hollywood. And the gay pride parade in Tel Aviv beats it. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. Hands down. And it's, it's very funny because people think, oh, it's, a, it's an ultra-religious, you know, um, conservative, and it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, first of all, Tel Aviv is, is like Santa Monica. It's beautiful. It's on the beach. Um, uh, and it's, it's progressive. It's a very progressive country. It's the most progressive country in the Middle East, um, one of the most liberal countries in the Middle East, or the most liberal country in the Middle East, I should say. And um, it's just a great place to visit. The food is phenomenal. And um, it's not at all what you expect. It's not a it's not a conflict. It's not a war zone. It's just, um, it's like going to Santa Monica, except the people are, um, they might have a different accent, but you'll, get, you'll see people from all over the world. Oh, and um, being from Los Angeles, yeah. people with a different accent, that's every day. Yeah, well, every day even, in even Los more Angeles. So. Look, as, as someone who grew up in L.A., the, there's more diversity in Israel even than in L.A. Yeah. It's an amazing thing to see. we got to take a quick commercial <clears throat> break. We'll be back in just a bit. We're listening to Dylan Hoser here at uh, the organization in USA. I can. I can. <laughs> Israeli American Civic Action Network. And we'll be back after this commercial break here on Sidebar with John Duran. One night in Tel Aviv. <laughs> <laughs> I had a fantastic few nights in Tel Aviv when I was there. I loved it. It's an awesome city. What struck me uh, most profoundly was being in Jerusalem. Because mm-hmm. Jerusalem, to me, had always been a city, you know, being raised Catholic, 12 years Catholic school, it seemed like this make-believe place, like Oz, you know. And to actually be there and to watch... Uh, the call, morning call, the prayer sure. by the Muslims, mm-hmm. and then watch bar mitzvahs at the Western Wall, yep. and meanwhile people doing the the crucifixion walk. All three major religions practicing Absolutely. peacefully yes. in this very complicated city. Yeah, it, it just it blew me away. I had I had tears. I was like, this is how it's supposed to be. Why can't we just all? get along yeah I right, like right. rodney king my rodney king <laughs> why can't we just why do we have to have historically war after war after war yeah. about this well you know and i think that's the thing that struck me most about being in israel and and, and for those people who are here in america um or or in, or in the comfort of let's say western countries um and, and looking at it from afar it is it is generally peaceful right and the and the conflict has come is coming primarily from the leadership Right and, and and look, I, I spent an entire summer just a few years ago in the south of Israel in a, in a city that was fifty percent Arab and fifty percent Jewish, and everybody got along fine. I mean, the the, the you, you um, your kids go to school together, you you go to the same restaurants, um, you eat the same food. I mean, it's and by the way, the Arab food is much better <laughs> generally generally yeah, than yeah. The, the Israeli food. Um, and the Israelis would absolutely agree to that, by the way. Um, and it's just there, there's co- there is real coexistence. And so one of the things that I would I would say to those who may be listening and, and who may be um, chafing at the notion of, of Israel or, or, or being pro-Israel is that, first of all, um, being there, it's a different experience. And just like you said, it's there, there's a lot of normalcy. And the second thing is that um, consider the fact that there, there, there are immigrants here from Israel, and as much as we um, get all lathered up about uh, what's going on there, and, and and we protest, and and a lot of it's driven by ignorance, and I think um, uh, a hate for for that part of the country or that part of the world, rather. Um, consider how that may impact people who are who are here from there. We have Israeli students who are going to UCs or other campuses across the country who simply want to study. And they're being surrounded and yelled at, free, free Palestine. Well, imagine if a Mexican-American student were at a UC campus and other kids were surrounding them saying, build the wall, build the wall. 
it's really which that, happens. This sadly. is the parallel. Which, well, which happens, right? Yeah. And, and we don't tolerate it. And so I, I'm I'm saying that we shouldn't tolerate that kind of discrimination being targeted right. with, with the Israeli community as well. So. Now I'm not going to saddle you with a geopolitical question, oh, but what <laughs> to be done with the Palestinians? Why? What to be? Because they're pretty much cut off from any yeah. support. They're starving. They got no employment. They're they're fomenting radicalism because they're so little. I mean, what is to eventually be done? So first of all, I, I would challenge the premise. I mean, there there is a lot of economic activity going on there. I think I think Pepsi just bought uh, SodaStream, um, and they're they're uh, planning to build a big plant, and I think it's in in Gaza or some part of the West Bank. You know, we can look that up. But um, there's actually a, a robust economy there. Um, several years ago, I think almost almost 15 or so years ago, um, it was part of the Israeli government's policy to help. Uh, agriculture and other parts of the the sector in the West Bank, uh, or different agricultural sectors in the West Bank, uh, to prosper. Um, and so, I, I, again, I think that what 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 we're seeing in the headlines isn't necessarily what's on the ground. And um, there's a there's a really integrated economy there between the Israelis and the Palestinians, between the West Bank and, and Israel proper, so to speak. Um, so I think there's a, a misconception, I, I, and I think the solution has to come from the people there on the ground. I mean, the, yeah. it, it's, it's going to be hard for us to, or an external part to impose a solution um, it really needs to come from the people there on the ground and I don't know that with this current um, leadership on both sides I don't know that it can come now um, but perhaps um, maybe in future generations hopefully in our lifetime uh, we'll have um, a new set of leaders who are willing to kind of have a vision of peace yes. for the future so. God willing Allah willing yes <laughs> Jehovah willing Absolutely. anyway whichever way yeah. you pray I know when I went to Israel I, I got to go to a meeting at the PLO uh -huh. uh, yep. and sure. I, I remember our bus pulled up at a stop and all of our Israeli staff had to get out got right. off the bus right because they weren't allowed and, yeah. so, and I went and I took a selfie in front of PLO I'm like <laughs> I can't believe I'm at the headquarters <laughs> of the PLO this sure. is amazing yeah. But it was interesting to hear their their point of view. Yeah. And then I went later to Sedorot, S-D-E-R-O-T? Sterot. Sterot, yes. thank yep. you. Yep. And we were, which is right there at the border. It is, yeah. The Gaza I've Strip there, yeah. uh, in between, you know, where the Palestinians are and, and Israel. Yep. And we were, I was, you know, sightseeing and taking pictures. And all of a sudden, all our bodyguards and everybody on the bus. And we had to go because yeah. there was a, a missile coming Rocket over. Coming I'm in, like, yeah. how do people live this way? Well, the amazing thing is in, in that, in Sterot, it's 15 seconds you have. From when, when, a, when a rocket is fired from Gaza, you have 15 seconds to find shelter. And so that, that town in particular has been in the media a lot. Um, and they've, they've suffered. And so actually where I stayed in the South, um, luckily I was, I was further in, so we had 60 seconds to find shelter. Um, but even me, like, I, I, you know, I grew up in, in, I grew up in the Valley. I'm a Valley boy. And uh, going th from there to the Middle East, I mean, and then, and then, being in a town where you had 60 seconds to find shelter and, and, and read Hebrew and understand where I go for the shelter even, you know, because I was not in a, a big town. So um, that, that can be a very uh, uh, traumatic and, and uh, different experience for sure. And, and meanwhile, Donald Trump wants to pull out of Syria. Yes. So uh, yesterday, uh, the Senate uh, uh, passed an amendment that was offered by Mitch McConnell, who's the GOP leader in the Senate, um, rebuking the president on that and saying that we should have um, some force um, in, in Syria to maintain stability, um, at least to maintain a presence there, to maintain the, the, the trajectory of stability that we're, we're pushing for now. Um, that, I believe, will go up for a final vote um, next week. Um, but yeah, there's there's a real uh, sense of um, uncertainty, I think, with what this foreign policy approach well, is. When he declared that we beat ISIS, I'm like, what yeah. are you smoking, man? Yeah. I mean, where do you think that we beat ISIS? Just because we've pushed them into the shadows a bit doesn't mean they're not still there. That's right. We yeah. pull out, they'll come blazing back up. Well, we can call and ask. It's 202-414-414. with the White House switchboard is. We can call and ask, <laughs> what are you smoking? I don't know. Well, and so. you know, meanwhile, he thinks that because you know, in yeah. North Korea, Kim Jong-un sends him love letters yes. that everything's yes. fine he's not building yeah. nuclear but and meanwhile all the heads of the, all the intelligence agencies are like sir that's not true sir that's not true i'll tell you uh, and, and and just speaking from my own personal perspective here it, it, the the image of, of the intelligence chiefs sitting in front of Congress saying what they said, and then the very next day, yesterday, we saw them sitting around the desk well, yeah. at the principal's office. Yeah, with Trump like uh, slapping uh, them on. How uh, dare uh, you disagree uh, with uh, my uh, view of the world? It, it's it's concerning, and um, I, I hope that we see some more uh, 
um, stability coming from the GOP. Hopefully, they grow up here. <laughs> hey, we got less than a minute. Anything yes. you want to tell people about website, upcoming events, yeah, so, anything? So you can learn more about us at IsraelUSA.org. Um, and again, we're we're I, I see this shocking radical thing. We're not a pro-Israel organization. We're an organization that advocates on behalf of Israeli Americans who have immigrated here uh, to live in America. Uh, we have a big event coming up in West Hollywood on March 27th, where we'll be um, talking to one of your old friends, David Ione, mm-hmm. who uh, wrote a book about Latinos coming to power in California and how it reshaped politics in America. So we're hoping to uh, learn from him and how the uh, immigrant communities from the Middle East can can uh, follow the Latino example. I look forward to being at an event with both you and Dave. Dave awesome. and I traveled Israel together. It'd be yeah. good to see him again. Great. Dylan, thanks for coming Thank on the you. show and spending thanks. time with us. We'll be back after this short commercial break, gang. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran. Welcome back, kids. Well, what a morning it has been. Just a phenomenal group of guests. Uh, Tony Valenzuela from the Foundation for AIDS Monument. Uh, Bella and Elena from the Sex Workers Outreach Program. And now finishing off with Dylan. And, um, you know, I one of the great things about being here in Los Angeles and my hometown born and raised here in Los Angeles is just the diversity of people that are available to create relationships with of different race of different ethnicity of different religion of different sexual orientation or gender identity I mean I I feel like in many ways I I am so lucky and blessed uh, that mom and dad set up a home here to give me the opportunity to meet so many different people because I, I have an inquiring mind. I'm very curious, and, and thank you, God, for the gift uh, and blessing of curiosity. I, I want to know, and I, I like to learn, and, and um, which brings us to you know, what our founders put in, uh, in the founding documents about a more perfect union, a more perfect union. They knew from the beginning that it would be impossible to actually have a perfect Union, And so they put the qualifier in there, a more perfect union, meaning that in order to find unity, it was going to require labor and work and an open mind and an open heart and a keen intellect that we were given the tools for the democracy that they established. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, equality under the law, due process of law, that they gave us the tools to create a pluralistic society, e pluribus unum, right? It's on the dollar bill. Out of many, one. They gave us the tools to create a more perfect union, but it was going to be up to us to labor and to have to work on that in each and every generation Um, because uh, in times of great conflict, in times of great fear, it is so easy to retreat into what is comfortable people of our own race or of our own religion or of our own sexual orientation or of our own neighborhood. It's much easier to just retreat uh, and find comfort in what's familiar. But I don't think that God or Allah or Jehovah, however you worship, or if you don't worship at all, I don't think that's the way that this uh, planet was created to exist. In fact, you see diversity all across the planet in nature, in both flora and fauna that it's a planet gives life to differences. It's true that there are you know, great jungles and great fields and great forests and ocean life, but within each of those uh, communities, there is great diversity, and that's part of the human creation here as well. So why not explore it? Why not enjoy it? Why not learn from it? And I say all this because I, I truly Deep, deep, deep within my soul believe that. And um, that is why it is so painful for me to watch Donald Trump. Sorry, guys. I'm just never going to refer to him as president. I just, to me, the long history of presidents before him have all had to struggle somewhat to find meaning, give meaning to those words, a more perfect union to try to resolve conflict, to try to bring the country together, to give us something to hope for, something aspirational, some sense of moral center, to pull us together as a people, to hopefully spread and do good around the world. Has it always been done perfectly? No. History is full of stories where we have failed. But hopefully we've learned from those painful lessons and 
brushed ourselves off, whether it was, you know, the internment of Japanese Americans, Mr. Korematsu here in California, uh, or the way in which African Americans were treated after slavery and all the way up to this day, today, uh, or the way in which immigrants, whether they were Italian immigrants or Irish immigrants or Polish immigrants or now immigrants of color from Africa, Central uh, America, the Caribbean, and South America and Mexico, wherever the immigrants are from, well, there's always been a history of a really terrible treatment of immigrants. But we've hopefully learned and come to establish more a national language of being and nation of immigrants. And that statute of liberty isn't just a piece of art. She actually means something. She actually stands for something. Uh, behold, at the golden door, I lift my lamp to welcome the great refuse, the teeming refuse from every shore to call this place their new home and their new country. And that is what is at the heart and the center of a more perfect union. And Donald Trump, you get an F for just complete failure to attempt to divide us. Instead, you play only to your base, the 33, 34% of people who support you blindly no matter what mountain of evidence is presented that you have been tre treacherous and a traitor and working with a foreign government that's uh, been hostile to us for decades, become their puppet and their ally, taking the word of Putin over the word of our own intelligence agencies. No matter how much we have shown you that you are wrong, you are just doubling down and, and refusing to budge. So... I know that everybody said when uh, Mr. Trump got elected, give him a chance, and not, not any of my friends, but some of my you know, acquaintances and relatives, give him a chance. I did. I, I did. And from month one up to here, this halfway point uh, in his first term, only term, I'm going to start saying that, his only term, I did give him a chance. I think some of us really thought maybe he would figure out a way to move to the center. He hasn't. He hasn't moved one bit. In fact, this rhetoric around build a wall continues to just inflame racism, trying to construct a medieval device across our southern border to take lands away from ranchers and families who've owned that very sensitive land for generations in order to build something to appease his base. So Donald Trump, F for failure on more perfect union. And all I know is the one thing that you've done is you have inspired millions of us to counterbalance and counteract against your rhetoric, proving in the end that actually our diversity is our strength as the rest of us reach out, grasp hand, arm in arm, and work together to form a more perfect union, and you have become the impetus to make us do that, to remind us of our history and of our shared values. So for that, I am grateful, Donald Trump, but that may be the only thing I'm grateful for about what your presence has meant. Thank you all for joining us. Tune in next week. We'll have the Black AIDS Institute on and other special guests. And I hope you all have a great weekend. Thank you for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q.